All right. Hello. Good afternoon. Good morning. Whatever time it is where you are. Uh, I am Ryan. I'm a, a foot nerd in training, and uh, I'm going to give a little talk here on finance literacy, which, uh, of course, is a big topic. And there's a lot of things that one might talk about when uh, talking about finance literacy. And, um, you know, I, I'm by background, uh, a professional accountant in uh, Ontario, Canada. Was trained as a chartered accountant and uh, spent a number of years working in various different roles in uh, in accounting uh, and finance, mostly for for companies or, or accounting firms. So uh, my angle at this is not uh, sort of the Bitcoin um, money time concepts, which you know for what it's worth, I I think that Nick and some of the other uh, foot nerds are are very very intelligent in these area in these spaces, and, and I know they've given presentations on them, and uh, I'm fascinated by and fully in support of all of those uh, kind of trains of of logic and uh, and what they mean for us, and I think it's super important. Um, on the other hand, I think you know where I think there's a little there's something else to offer uh, is just in the kind of practical space around um, basic finance concepts like credit and um, understanding what you own and having some day-to-day uh, -day, uh, finance uh, street smarts, I guess you might say. And, you know, as a Canadian growing up, uh, this was not something that was really taught in schools. So for me, it's not necessary. Now, I, I learned it over the years and my training as an accountant helped, but uh, it wasn't something that I had to learn. And it's my sense that in different places uh, that I've been, it's not common knowledge necessarily to understand some of these concepts. So I'm going to go through some things. I think most of what I want to start with is maybe just applying some basic accounting theory to some day-to-day -day life concepts, which I hope won't get too technical. And then I want to talk a little bit about financial minimalism, I guess you might say. Because um, I think as foot nerds, we have a lot in common with sort of minimalist values. And I think that applying those to finance and personal financial management uh, are it, it's a good it's a good synergy. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, okay, so I'm just gonna share my screen here and hopefully get that right. Okay. So as I said, I'm going to start with a little bit of concepts and theory, and then I'm going to jump into uh, you know some insights from there on what I'd call financial minimalism. So I've put up right here, very simple. Um, what is the basic accounting equation? I'm sure if you've taken an accounting course or a business course, you've probably seen this. Uh, assets equals liabilities plus equity. Um, said differently, um, you can say assets minus liabilities equals net worth. And I'm going to talk about more the second interpretation of that equation, probably, in, in what's to come. You know, I think just to explain this a little bit for those that aren't maybe as familiar with the accounting concepts, um, you know, I, I guess I would pose to you the question of how do you think about the things that you own or possess? Um, and, you know, I, I often conceptualize the notion of a personal balance sheet. Or, or kind of a personal reflection of this equation. So uh, to talk through the different terms of the equation, an asset is something that you possess, period. Um, now, just 
as you might possess something that doesn't necessarily mean that you own it. Um, if you possess something that is effectively owned by somebody else, then you've got a liability. Uh, whereas if you possess something that you do yourself own and have no encumbrances on it, then that would be equity or part of your net worth. I think a good example is something like a car. So, and I'll come back to the car example probably in future instances. Um, so if you have a car, uh, but you just acquired it and perhaps you financed it with, uh, with uh, you know, a, a lending institution, then you may possess the car, but the car isn't really yours. You owe pretty much its whole value to an external party. Uh, and so you've got an asset which you possess, you've got a liability to that third party and assets minus liabilities gives you your net worth. So your net worth uh, in respect of that car is essentially zero. Um, on the other hand, if you have a car that you bought with cash and you just stick it in your garage, then whatever that car is worth, uh, you possess that value. So you possess it, it's an asset. You don't have any liabilities to pay anybody off uh, mm -hmm. as, a, as kind of part of that transaction. So you have a $0 liability with respect to that asset, therefore, you know, that asset contributes its entire value to your net worth. So um, anyhow, I think that's where I want to stop with the technical. Uh, the main concept I want to get out of that is, uh, you know, just starting to think about uh, the things that you possess and whether you own them or somebody else does. Uh, a, a good, and, and I'm going to pretty much uh, take from here on out to kind of explore some practical concepts related to this. So, a lot of people think, well, I'm going to go out and buy something. Um, you know, day-to-day -day purchases is uh, something we engage in all the time. Um, and we don't maybe think about how that affects things like our, our net worth. Um, so for physical goods that somebody goes out and buys, if it's just groceries or if it's, um, you know, something for around the house, a lot of that stuff uh, you would think of as essentially valueless. Uh, or consumable. So uh, you're effectively taking cash and going and buying some good. Uh, cash is your asset going into the transaction, and then you're giving that up in exchange for a good. Now, if it's consumables, as most day-to-day -day purchases are, then they don't really have value beyond a couple of days, perhaps. So uh, what you're doing is you're taking cash, you're paying it to somebody else, and you're getting back a good that essentially has no value or soon will have no value. So um, people don't maybe think about this in these terms, but whenever you buy something on a day-to-day -day basis, you're essentially extracting from your net worth. So, uh, and this is true whether you're paying for it in cash or whether you're paying for it in debt. And in fact, when you're paying for it in debt, it, you know, I'd argue that it's, it's uh, even, even more of a decrease in your, your net worth. Um, because you're taking cash that you don't have and you're, uh, so if you're buying on Visa or on credit or something like that, um, you're acquiring a, a consumable item and that's uh, an asset maybe temporarily, but if it's something that's consumable, it doesn't keep that value. So whatever the value of that possession is goes down immediately, but you're left with the liability. So uh, that if you look at back to our basic equation, assets minus liabilities equals net worth. Uh, you've got a positive liability, you've got a zero asset. So essentially you've just drained your net worth um, more so than if you just paid for something in cash. Um, 
the point here isn't to say that, you know, don't go out and buy things. The point is to think about the things that you buy in terms of your, their impact on your personal net worth. Um, and I, I think that's kind of the point I wanted to make there. And I'm going to explore that in a little bit more depth. So um, that's a fairly simple example if we talk about day-to-day -day purchases. If we look at a slightly different example, um, you know, that's the example of, of say, a car purchase. Uh, the same kind of ultimate principle applies, but it's worthwhile to think about how buying something, even like a car, which does hold some value, um, is affecting your net worth when you acquire it. So if you, let's say you have um, $1,000 cash before you buy this, this car, um, at the moment of the car purchase, uh, you let's say you pay for it on, on credit, um, you know, you don't use your cash to buy it uh, immediately. So you acquire the automobile. So that's the $600. Um, you acquire it by incurring a liability to, let's say, the dealer or something. Uh, they or, or, well, in this case, I've said line of credit. So let's say it's the bank. You have the line of credit. You borrowed $600 in order to buy this automobile with $600. So now you have this automobile uh, as an asset. You have a liability. Um, at the moment of the car purchase, uh, the automobile and the liability, it, those values cancel out. So you've got the 600 less the 600, um, you still have the cash, therefore your net worth is $1,000. Problem is, is the car declines in value as soon as you drive it off the lot. You know, everybody's heard that new car uh, depreciates 50% um, as soon as you leave the dealership. So um, your automobile asset, immediately after you drive that car off the lot is now $300 instead of 600. But your line of credit debt hasn't gone away. Like that is not subject to any kind of degradation of value. If you owe the bank $600, you owe the bank $600. So now your net worth um, has declined. It's gone from a thousand to $700. Um, and then that's that remains true even if you pay off the line of credit. So people would say, well, you know, um, I'm paying off my debt, that's good for my net worth. Well, not really. It's just saying uh, I took my from my $1,000 cash and I paid off, off my $600 line of credit to bring that to zero, but you know, now I have less cash. So um, the point is, is you know, even when you pay off that debt, your line of credits or your, your net worth is still down 700 compared to the thousand that you had before you bought the car in the first place. So um, Again, the point here is not to say don't buy a car. The point is to think a little bit about what a purchase like a car purchase is doing to your net worth. It's not kind of uh, like acquiring a, a net new asset that um, holds value uh, over time. I mean, it, in the case of a car, it does hold more value than a day-to-day -day purchase, but it's it's still at the it still eats into your net worth at the end of the day. Um, you and so I, I'm going to probably drop the purchases example there. Um, the other kind of the next like next up uh, purchase type might be something that holds its value a little bit better than a car does. Um, so if you buy a home, for example, or if you make an investment in a business or an investment in some kind of a, a cash returning vehicle, then 
that is something you know where you see this decline in value of the automobile from 600 to 300 that decline may not be happening as soon as you make that acquisition so um what happens in the case of a home purchase or or some or investment like that is you do have something that uh, may not decrease your net worth when you buy it um you know a lot of people will say uh it's it's uh you know the dream end state or something is to to acquire uh, investments that pay for your cost of living. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of wisdom to that. Like if you can spend your money on things that don't decrease your net worth and return, um, value over time that allows you to pay for your day-to-day purchases, then that's a pretty good place to be. Um, now homes don't typically return value in the form of cash. They may increase in value over time if the real estate market's going up, but you can't really use that value unless you borrow against it. Um, you know, so it's, it's useful perhaps to think that if you buy a home, your net worth may go up when the home's value goes up, but, uh, there's limits to how you can use that. Um, so anyhow, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about sort of net worth there in terms of the impacts of different purchases. Again, I think the point that I want to that I want to make is when I buy things uh, or uh, finance things, I'm thinking in terms of this net worth equation uh, almost all the time. So, um, what assets do I have? If I have to utilize those assets to acquire something, what is that doing to my personal net worth? Is that increasing it, decreasing it, or is it leaving it the same? And then if I'm incurring things like liabilities, you know, liabilities don't have a tendency to go down uh, unless you actually utilize your resources to pay, pay them off. So um, to the extent that I'm incurring those liabilities, I want to have a plan which says, here's how I'm going to get rid of that over time. Or, you know, if it's something that I plan to be around for a long time, like, like let's say a mortgage, then um, here's how that mortgage, the presence of that liability isn't going to uh, make it difficult for me to live uh, over the next, say, 25 years or, or shorter or longer. Um, okay, how your net worth affects your lifestyle. I wanted to present this just as uh, perhaps a, a high level view of what different net worth statuses might mean for somebody. Um, this isn't obviously particularly precise, but it gives you, uh, if you're doing sort of a personal financial inventory, it gives you an opportunity to say, you know, where do I sit here? And so there's a few different statuses. The first I would say is if you have a negative net worth, uh, and I'm going to talk about this in terms of what net worth you have and what liabilities you have. Assets, you know, it's a worthwhile part of the equation, but everybody has things that they possess. And Somebody can have a whole lot of assets and somebody can have very few assets. But uh, the point is, is what's their title to those assets and how much do they owe in order to keep those around to other parties? So again, first row, negative net worth, liabilities, kind of doesn't matter. If you have negative net worth, then that means your, li your liabilities exceed your assets. And uh, if that's the case, then it's probably not a great place to be. It means you could be in default of loans um, because I mean, if you have a mortgage of $500,000 and you have a home that's worth $300,000, then how are you, if, if 
the bank was to foreclose your home, then what are you going to do? You can't pay off the mortgage. You're going to be potentially in default. Now, um, you might be able to service the cost of your liabilities, which means pay down your debt over time and not get in the bank's bad graces, let's say. But you know, it's not exactly a position of freedom. It means that you're somewhat beholden to uh, the servicing obligations of your liabilities. So this can manifest in any number of different ways if you have a negative net worth and different liabilities mean different things for different people and what your assets look like. Like if you have zero assets, then that's one thing. If you have some assets, just not enough to meet your debts, then that's another. The point is, is that if you are in a negative net worth situation, doesn't matter what your liabilities are, it's probably not great for your freedom to decide what you want to do with your time and your money. Um, if you have zero net worth and low liabilities, then I, I like to look at that as uh, you're living in the present. Um, you don't have any obligations, but maybe you don't have very many assets that uh, have value. You might have home um, uh, assets sitting around, but you know if they're not making any money for you or they're not something that you could easily sell for any value, then like you just have a bunch of stuff. Um, but on the positive side, you know, if you have a job and you're earning cash, then you can use that cash in real time to pay for whatever you need in order to live. And you know, your lifestyle defines how much money you need in order to do that. But um, uh, you know, you're not in a position where you can invest any of your assets or your net worth because you don't have any. You just you have uh, maybe close to zero or maybe a little bit just to get by. So uh, it's not necessarily a bad place. You still have a fair bit of freedom potentially, but um, you know, as I say, you're living in the present. Uh, if you're the next two scenarios are, you know, your net worth is, is positive, uh, which is good means that your assets are at least partially owned by you. Um, and, but kind of what that means depends a little bit on how much uh, your liabilities are. So uh, the first one, you know, your net worth is greater than zero, but your liabilities are high. That's a scenario where you probably have a degree of freedom, but your debt servicing has to be factored in. So an example of this would be, let's say you have a home, you bought it, uh, it's worth maybe a million dollars, um, but you had to finance that. And so your debt to finance it is $500,000. Your net worth in that scenario is, is $500,000. It's a million less 500,000 and it's positive. That's great. If you really, really needed to, you could always sell your home and pay off your debt and you'd have a whole bunch of excess and that's great. The difficulty is, is that you don't, you, you can't just not pay your liabilities, whatever you, and you know, your home doesn't generate cash itself in and of itself. It's not like a dividend paying stock or something. It's just, it's sitting there. It's, it's a whale, you know, it's not, it's not paying you anything. Um, so your liabilities have to be factored in and to pay off $500,000 of a mortgage, you have to be generating some income on the other end. So you have to have a job, you have to be, uh, or, you know, you have to be making money some way, whether it's employment or self-employment or independent or something. Um, so you have a certain degree of freedom, to uh, utilize your net worth, but you have to factor in how am I paying off this debt if I can't pay it off immediately. Um, and then of course, the final scenario is you have positive net worth and you have low liabilities. Now that's kind of like the dream scenario, uh, depending on what your goals are, uh, or it certainly can be. 
Um, that's the example where maybe you've got a house uh, or an asset and you've you've paid off any liabilities if they ever existed in order to uh, generate that asset and bring it into your possession. Um, and uh, so you can you can kind of do what you want. If you're living in the present, if you want, you can just uh, generate enough cash or income or provide enough value to your community that uh, that's sufficient to trade for your your uh, living expenses or trade for your needs of day-to-day of -day life. And you don't necessarily have to worry about um, how you're servicing your liabilities. You could pick up and go somewhere else if you wanted to, or you could uh, sell your asset, trade it for something else. Like that's kind of the picture of freedom. Now, so anyhow, those are some of the scenarios that like the reason I walk through this stuff is um, it's useful perhaps for yourself as a foot nerd to say, well, where do I sit here? What and what does that mean for me? I've I've talked in this presentation about what that means for freedom. Obviously, there's more things in life than just being free to do what you want. Um, but I think that with freedom comes capacity to support the values that are important to you. So if you have assets, you can put them toward a charity, let's say, or you can build things that are in accordance with your values. You know, that sort of thing takes takes money or it takes uh, effort. And, you know, if you're if you're free to utilize your time and attention and your money in ways that are of value to you, then that's great. And I mean, what what more could we want? And even if that's, uh, you know, what's of value to you is what's valuable to your community. You have that freedom. Um, the challenge with having debt, not to say that debt can't be useful, but it means that you're financing somebody else's um, assets, like your debt to them is, is an asset uh, on their books. And in being obligated to service that, uh, you may have to compromise your values or you may have to compromise what you might otherwise do with your free time. Um, you know, maybe you have to get a job that you don't like and that's, you know, every, lots of people do and no disrespect to that. Um, I've done jobs that I didn't like at many points in my life, but, um, and, and there's some merit to that depending on your, your situation. So uh, the point is, is just have a moment to think about where you sit here. Where do you want to get to potentially? And, um, you know, what obstacles are in the way or what steps would you have to do? Uh, and I think with that, um, all right, so I'm going to move on. I'm going to talk a little bit about credit. Um, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because this is a big subject, potentially. Um, I'm going to try to make it fairly simple. Credit in these terms, you know, can be called any number of things. It, it, if I go back to the accounting equation, assets equals liabilities. Uh, plus equity or um, assets minus liabilities equals net worth. Um, credit equals liabilities, it equals debt, it equals mortgage, it equals line of credit, it equals bonds, notes, student loans, credit cards. You know, anything that constitutes a liability uh, could be considered uh, debt or credit. The point is there's a lot of terms out there and I find, I, well, I think that it's intentionally confusing in a sense. Like you don't, um, you go to a bank and they'll tell you, well, you can take out a reverse mortgage on your property and do this and that. And I mean, 
yes, you can, and that's maybe a good option for you, but uh, it's like the terms are just kind of, uh, I guess, like a barrier. It's like just here's some intentionally confusing terminology so that you have a hard time conceptualizing what it is that we're, we're, we're offering to do for you. Um, to, I guess, eliminate some of the complexity, all of these terms just mean you're getting money or some asset today in exchange for a promise to pay money in the future. And really the liability piece of it is just the promise. Like if you have a liability or debt or credit or a credit card, you're obliged to pay somebody else at some point in the future. And that might be uh, immediately, or it might be uh, two years down the road or 20 years down the road. The point is, is the promise is there. And when it comes to promises to pay money, it's not like uh, it's not like an asset that you hold. Assets have kind of variable value depending on what they are and um, you know what their the demand is for them. So if you have a car, it's as I say, it depreciates quite quickly. If you have a stock, it could accelerate in value and become quite quite big, or it could go to zero. You know, like assets are very very fungible um, or flexible, I should say, in terms of their value. But liabilities don't tend to be, especially not for the average person. If you have a liability, then you got to pay somebody money. And um, that, uh, you know, that will never go away until you uh, kind of satisfy that obligation or until you go bankrupt. And even when you go bankrupt, some liabilities don't go away uh, in the case of student debt. So the point is, is um, I want you to not think so complicated about this stuff. Think about Am I being obligated to pay something in the future? Then I have a liability on my hands, whether that's called credit, a mortgage, or whatever, any of these other terms. Um, the other piece of this that I want to just walk through real quick is uh, interest. So it's just like a fundamental principle or a first principles uh, axiom. You might say that money today, uh, I've said, is greater than or equal to here money in the future. Money today is better than money in the future. Um, if you have something, in your hands that you can use to buy goods or services, that's more useful. And then um, if somebody was to come to you and say, well, I'm gonna give you money in a month and you can use it to do whatever you want. It's like, well, no, I'd rather have it today. So the point is, is that there is value to having money now compared to money in the future. And um, that difference in value is interest, essentially, like technically speaking, the cost of, having money today instead of having it um, a month from now, the difference in those uh, numbers, whatever they are, that's interest. And so uh, if the bank is giving you $100,000, let's say, um, and saying you have to pay this back to me in 10 years, then they're only doing that because you're promising to pay some interest on that, uh, that, that loan that they're giving you. Um, so it's not like, anybody's just going to give you money out of the goodness of your heart, their hearts, unless maybe they're your family. Um, so you have to pay interest whenever you take money today in exchange for that promise to pay money in the future. Uh, I don't really want to talk much more about credit. I think the point is, is that um, credit is something that uh, is the, the point at this stage is, is that credit is something that is often in, made very confusing by those that are lending you money. And uh, it would, I think, 
benefit a lot of us to think of things a little bit more simply and try to forget, try, try to parse the terms or put them to the side for a moment and just think about what am I being obliged to do and what am I getting today? If I'm getting money today and I have to pay it back, then I've got a liability, I've got debt. Um, and that means I'm going to have to pay interest. And it's best to think about if you're in that scenario, what kind of interest am I going to have to pay and what kind of rights am I giving up in order to uh, enter into this transaction. Hopefully that makes some sense. Um, I'm going to stop with technical now and I'm just going to get into some practical advice. And, you know, I mentioned starting to think a little bit more like a, like a minimalist and, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how I'm going to come at this. Uh, being a minimalist, um, as I say, I think has a lot in common with being a foot nerd. Um, it's, it engenders sort of not having more than you need, uh, not focusing on material possessions um, and uh, trying, to, trying to kind of liberate yourself from influences that might seek to control you. And there's a huge financial side of this. I think the Bitcoin and concepts of money and time side of it are really worth studying and you know we've got some presentations on that but again there's just day-to-day -day finance stuff that i think it's worthwhile to think about in uh structuring your life the right way so if, and I'll, I'll explore that by just as i say talking about some different pieces of practical advice so as far as managing credit pardon me uh some practical advice pay off your credit card debt each month always um and this kind of ties into the next point, which is watch your interest rate. You know, I mentioned that um, your, you know, all that different forms of debt and credit uh, are made intentionally confusing, but it gets pretty real when you look at what the cost of that debt is or what the interest rates are. And, you know, it's all the same until you look at the interest rate and your credit card, you have to pay 18% interest in a month. So if you pay, if you have a credit card debt of hundred bucks, then that's $18 a month that you're gonna to have to pay uh, if you don't pay it off before the end of the month. Whereas if you have a line of credit, let's say um, with a 3% interest, which is kind of typical for that type of instrument, then uh, at that same $100, if you borrowed it on a line of credit, you're gonna to have to pay $3 instead of the $18. So the interest rate gets really real. And you know when we're talking about bigger amounts than $100 and things like credit cards, which uh, are made intentionally easy to incur debt on. Uh, you have to be really mindful of what your interest rate rates are. And, um, you know, credit cards tend to be about the highest rate of interest you would ever pay on any debt. So hence the point here, uh, if you incur credit card debt, as we all do, then pay it off before the end of the month. You do not want to be hit with interest um, on something like that. The... The other side of and the nice thing actually about credit cards and so maybe a little side point, um, like credit cards often have good benefits programs, whether it's um, cash back on volume of purchases or whether it's air miles, you know, a lot of that stuff's pretty confusing. Um, but at the end of the day, if you pay your credit card on time every month, then you don't have to incur any interest cost on that credit card debt. And if you don't have to pay any interest cost on credit card debt, then the benefits of the credit card program accrue to you. And if that's 1% cash back and you spend, you know, $1,000 um, a month, 
then that's 10 bucks a month that you just get in value. And uh, as things scale up and you don't have, and if you don't have to pay an interest cost against that, then that's value to you. And if you compare that against like paying in cash, for example, you know, you can't pay enough cash that any vendor, all vendors are going to give you 1% cash back. So it's like paying with credit cards can be better than paying with your own cash or debit as we call it here in Canada. Um, so it's useful to keep that in mind. Um, but the point is, is that it's a moot point if you don't pay off your debt uh, before the month uh, expires and before you have to pay interest. Um, don't let monthly debt payments exceed monthly income. This is kind of a, a good uh, way to think about uh, maybe your net worth situation. Um, a lot of people uh, will, it's easy to ring up debt and ring up kind of accumulating mortgage payments or line of credit. It's like, oh, I want this. You know, I want to build a deck, so let's put that on the line of credit. It's like easy to easy to easily done, I should say. You know, it's not like anybody's going to stop you from doing that. But then you have to service that. So um, the point is, is the accumulation of debt can be fairly confusing. The right way to think about it is, what what is my monthly income of uh, of money and resources, and how does that compare to what my debts are obliging me to pay on a monthly basis? As long as your monthly income exceeds your monthly debts, um, then at least whatever your current situation is, it's sustainable and you don't have to change from it in the immediate term. Um, now, you could lose a job uh, or you could uh, you know, have an interest rate go up. So losing the job drops your monthly income, interest rate goes up, increases your monthly debt. So it's not like you're 100% stable for all time, but it's if your income exceeds your debt, then at least you're in a pretty good spot right now and probably into the foreseeable future. Um, so when you're thinking about, you know, should I borrow for that deck or should I buy that car and in incur a new uh, financial obligation, just think about what's that going to mean for me in terms of monthly payments um, in, term, in order to service that, that debt. Uh, and then again, kind of related to that, have a plan for getting it to zero. Um, so if that's your mortgage, let's say, you know, you probably on a 25 year plan, maybe it's fixed or variable rates, like understand how you're uh, going to pay that debt off because you don't want to have that thing exist forever. Um, you know, we only have so much time on this earth and maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't want to be beholden to financial institutions and having to pay uh, money to them over the course of your whole life. Um, on the other hand, uh, a lot of people are comfortable using debt to make investments. That's, you know, a pretty viable strategy financially. Uh, so you could be in a scenario where, you know, you don't necessarily intend to make all of your payments in order to uh, pay down a debt. Like the, you might have an approach that says, well, as long as I have assets that are worth more than the debt, then that's all that matters. And, you know, I can make the present obligations over time, but then at some point I'll have to settle it and that'll involve selling or, or liquidating my assets. But, you know, you can kind of push that down the road. Like there's a way to think about it that way. But the way I think for most people is a good way to come at this is to have a plan to get your debt to zero. If that is a five-year plan or a five-month plan or a 50-year plan, then fair enough. Um, all of those are viable. Just have a plan so that you know, you're not in this like space where you just don't know what's going on or, um, you know, you don't uh, don't have a lot of sense of personal control and sovereignty. 
So that's all I wanted to say on credit. I think everybody, a lot of people have credit and a lot of people maybe don't understand it as well. In my sense is people don't understand it as well as they should. Uh, obviously that's a really light touch and not very considered, like not going to consider everybody's different personal situations. Reach out to me if you have any questions about your situation. I can't give, you know, particular kinds of financial advice, but I'm happy to talk about concepts and help people understand what they're looking at. So just a few more general uh, pieces of practical financial advice. And, you know, this doesn't necessarily follow from, um, uh, it sort of does follow from some of the concepts I've taught, taught about here, but not necessarily. So the first one, think like a minimalist. Um, this is not, uh, uh, this, is, this is kind of looking to uh, what I describe as minimalist thinkers and just apply that to financial situations. So um, Henry, uh, Henry Thoreau, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, and uh, you know, there's a, a couple of new guys called the minimalists, that's what they brand themselves as, um, who uh, have been influences to me over the last several years. Um, the point is, is like, in order to finance material possessions requires you to work and uh, generate or, or generate resources. Um, and that takes time. It takes effort. It takes uh, potentially money. And, you know, as, as the, the world will not dissuade you from uh, committing resources to things that they're perfectly happy to suggest that you buy. And, you know, you don't necessarily need a lot of the stuff that a lot of people spend money on. And um, that, that the point is, is, is it's useful to apply a minimalist bent to your material possessions. Um, the less you have, in my experience, the, the less sort of burdened you are to those things and um, the more free you can be to uh, be there for your community. Now, you know, this is just thinking evolutionarily, like humans are a nomadic hunter-gatherer uh, species and, you know, hunter-gatherers and nomads don't keep stuff. Like that's just not what we would have done for the hundreds of thousands of years of our evolution. So the notion that we need to have a ton of stuff is at least evolutionarily uh, somewhat, I'd say, minimally precedented. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't value to holding stuff. And I mean, I consider myself a minimalist, but at the same time, I like to be able to host people in my community at my house and uh, deliver for them, you know, generative experience. And that does require owning some things. It doesn't necessarily require it, but it does require, you know, you have to have more than just the clothes on your back in order to do that potentially. So it's not to say get rid of all your possessions. It's just to start thinking like, you know, what do I need in order to live? What are the truly important things in my life? And uh, can are there things that I can get rid of? Uh, so in that vein, you know, another piece of advice is take a personal and financial inventory. Um, and I'm going to come at this in a couple of different ways. Uh, so like a personal inventory, this is something that I um, came at from those guys, the minimalists, and you can check them out. Uh, they... Um, uh, like the, the two leaders and, and kind of they do these interventions where uh, they will go to somebody's house and they'll literally go through all of this person's possessions and put them in boxes and uh, close up the boxes and then say, well, 
now just live your life. And if you need something from your boxes, then go get it. Um, but if you don't, then leave them in the boxes. And if you don't use something within, and, and then at that point you start to realize, well, how much of my stuff am I actually using? And if you keep certain boxes of stuff that you have in your house unsealed for 30 days or you know 120 days or a year, then how much do you really need that stuff? And you know, the point is, is to start thinking about, well, maybe I can get rid of that. Like, what's the point of having it if I'm not going to use it? And then you can start to think about when you go to buy your next thing or whatever that is, um, is that just going to be something that ends up in a box at the end of the day? Or is this something that's really going to enhance my life and bring value to my community? Um, so the point there is taking the inventory is the valuable step. So um, I would recommend doing something like that. It doesn't have to be that, you know, you can with so extreme with all the boxes. I like, you know, in the clothes, in a clothing context, like if, if I have, I mean, I have a bunch of clothes, um, probably more than I need. Um, every now and again, I'll go through my closet and I'll say, have I, I'll look at objects in there and I'll say, have I worn this in the last year? You know, Canada has a lot of different seasons. So, you know, you need coats, you need sweaters, you need t-shirts, you need shorts. But if I haven't worn something in a year, then I'm probably not going to need to wear it. And I can donate that or I can get rid of it. So, you know, taking that sort of an approach to uh, to your 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 things and doing those sorts of periodic inventories is really useful. Um, the other type of inventory I mentioned here is a financial inventory. And I'm going to talk about that in and kind of the next point a bit together. So being mindful and frugal about recur recurring expenses. So I find that one of the tricks these days that a lot of companies will will do in order to extract the most value out of people is to engage them in recurring uh, spending arrangements. So uh, it, it's not nefarious necessarily, and you know that's fair enough, but like for a company, if somebody if a company can count on you for a certain amount of dollars every month, then that's pretty useful for them. And uh, you know when I was working in, in the accounting firm, like a recurring client was always better than a one-time project because you could count on a recurring client for years, potentially. So like the point here is um, it's easy to enter into a lot of those relationships, but they also accumulate rather uh, quickly, depending on how careful you are about them. Um, I think like digital streaming services are a perfect example here. You know, TV is something that didn't even exist as of 200, 200 years ago. And now it's sort of this thing that people are, that's very, very important to people. And um, most people have a TV in their house. Most, a lot of people have a Netflix subscription and then Disney plus has content that you like. So you get, you know, you get your Disney plus subscription in order to uh, watch like the Mandalorian. And then, you know, you got your Amazon prime membership, which gives you some TV viewing rights. And then maybe you pay for your cable and cable is, X amount of dollars a month. And it's like a lot of these things are easy to enter into because what's 10, 15 bucks a month for Netflix. It's like, well, when it's 15 bucks a month for Netflix plus 80 or hundred bucks a year for Amazon prime plus another 15 bucks a month for, um, uh, Disney plus, plus your cable of 60 bucks a month. It's like, if you actually add that up and multiply it by 12, that's a lot of money in a year. That's hundreds, maybe like uh, in excess of thousands of dollars a year. And it's 
easy to forget how much that is um, if you just think about the month to month impact. And it's not to say that those things aren't valuable. You know, I've had streaming services myself for many years. Um, and although I've gotten rid of them uh, for the most part without any any difficulty on to my <laughs> to my day to day enjoyment of life, um, but the point is is uh, to focus on those recurring relationships because they're easy to enter into, but they're not necessarily easy to get out of. And a lot of value and you know time and energy can go into them once you start to add them all up. So uh, coming back to that second point. I find it useful to do financial inventories every now and again. And what that looks like is going over your monthly just transactions that have hit your credit card or your, your bank account. Um, take a three month period of time and say, what are all the things that I'm paying for uh, over that time? Some things are going to be one-time purchases and you know, like some of those are incredibly necessary. Like buying groceries is important. You can't not buy groceries. Um, but some things are just going to be like little charges that happen every month. And maybe you've even forgotten that you set those up like whenever you did um, for websites or subscriptions or this form of insurance or that form of that uh, relationship that you, you had to set up in order to do this thing. It's like the point is, is that accumulates. And if you don't watch it, that can be a problem. So do the inventory um, every now and again, where you look at all those transactions historically and then act on whether you want those to be part of your life anymore. And um, I find that there's a lot of opportunity to save yourself money just by doing an exercise like that and uh, cutting off ties with relationships that aren't financial relationships that aren't benefiting you um, or aren't providing you any value anymore. Um, balance. So, you know, these last two I'm gonna jump through pretty quick. I think um, uh, I, I've been reading a lot of Gandhi lately and uh, Gandhi's a man who is very committed to his values and uh, has taken, well, took a vow of celibacy when he was very young. Uh, he never ate, ate meat practically in his entire life. And, you know, some of us are maybe like Gandhi and uh, we can sustain a vow of abstinence from material indulgences. But my sense is that most of it aren't. Most of us aren't, and uh, it's pretty darn difficult to uh, avoid those temptations of material uh, indulgence. And I mean, I'm a perfectly good victim of this myself. Um, the point I want to make is, it's not bad to pay for things that aren't like deeply spiritually fulfilling. If you want to go and buy, uh, you know, a donut then fair enough. Um, if you want to go and pay for an expensive steak dinner, fair enough. The point is, is to think balanced about it. Don't let things that affect your net worth become uh, mindless. And if you, if you have little things that you like to indulge in, just try to have some kind of rule to balance them out. This is something that's worked pretty well for me. I do kind of like the weekends only rule in order to keep balance in my life for, uh, for example. So like, I don't, you know, I, I've, I've gone through like take drinking for drinking alcohol, for example, I won't drink alcohol during the week because alcohol is expensive. 
Um, you know, obviously there's tons of costs of drinking too much and, you know, psychologically and physically and mentally, which we don't have to get into, but they're also, it's also expensive. And, you know, if you want to spend uh, all the money to buy drinks five days a week, um, then fair enough. But for me, the way that I can sustain myself for most of the days of the week without drinking is to say, but I'm going to allow myself that freedom on the weekend and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it then. And that's something that I think is good to apply to a number of different situations. Like take the streaming services example. Maybe you're somebody that really, really gets a lot of value out of Netflix. And it's like, well, I don't want to never watch movies again. It's like, okay, well, fair enough. But maybe if you cancel your Netflix subscription, that saves you, it gets you out of that recurring relationship for that streaming service. But you on weekends go and find a movie that you really like and just rent it for four bucks. And, you know, even if you do that every weekend, it's probably going to come out a little more expensive than the Netflix subscription, although that's going up in cost, I think. Um, but at least you're kind of balancing that in your life and you can always choose not to do it. So um, it's, it's just a little bit of a different way to think about indulgences. Um, again, for me, it's kind of like the 80, 20 rule or the, you know, don't indulge during the week, but be a little bit more free on the weekends, have something like that um, with respect to these sorts of indulgences. I think it'll help you financially. And the last point is just buy for longevity, not expedience. And this is just another way of thinking about entering into more meaningful relationships using your money um, rather than recurring relationships like sunglasses. Maybe you can break good sunglasses too. But I find like if you buy cheap sunglasses all the time, then you're always going to be buying sunglasses because, you know, you don't care about losing them. You just lose them and then you buy more, only 10 bucks or 15 bucks. Whereas if you buy, uh, you know, good sunglasses, if that's something that's important to you, then you hold on to those and you don't lose them because you're more careful about it. Um, the point is, is kind of applied more generally. If you have that mindset about the things that you buy, you know, I'm going to buy something that I don't have to replace, then it may cost you more money in the short term, but it's my experience that it'll save you money in the long term. So, um, that obliges one to do research when one is making purchases. It obliges a person to uh, take care of their stuff. And I think those are valuable, useful things to do in your life anyways. So um, again, balance is needed in everything. And I think this is just a good way to in inject balance and kind of mindfulness into how you live. So buy for longevity, uh, not for expedience. Uh, okay, and I'm going to stop the uh, presentation there. I think I've talked about a lot of stuff. Um, hopefully, this has been useful. Uh, if, as sort of a recap, I know it's good as foot nerds to think about what experiments we want to do uh, coming out of some of these modules. So I think kind of in that light, I, I would just go back to what my maybe practical advice pieces were. Um, and talk a little bit about the, the balance sheet. So some, some experiments that you might think to do, put together a little personal balance sheet. Uh, look at what your assets are, what their value is, compare that to the value of any liabilities that you have in your life, and then see what that means for your net worth. Do you have a positive net worth? Do you have a negative net worth? 
And what does your net worth situation imply about uh, your freedom today? And how does it affect what you want to do in the future? And, you know, do you want to change anything about that? And what's that going to take? Um, the credit piece, obviously, like look through, understand what your credit credits are, your debts, um, maybe do a bit of a personal inventory there. And then uh, a couple other experiments just around uh, the minimalist thinking. So take that financial inventory, look at your transactions historically for a period of three to six months. You can pretty much get any of that stuff off of online banking or credit card websites. Like you can run your transactions historically. It's pretty, it's not necessarily trivial. They make it more difficult than they should, but it's not that difficult. You can, you can go and get that stuff. Um, and yeah, just look at your transactions, see if there's things that are hitting your bank that aren't actually serving you. Um, then the other would be uh, look at the recurring financial expenditures in your life. Everybody's got them. Um, I guarantee it. And I think like, you know, it's easy to, it's tempting to say, I need those things in my life. Um, but challenge yourself about whether you really, really do. Are there things that you could exit, relationships that you could exit financially, um, which are maybe just material indulgences that you just don't need? Uh, and then the last one, I suppose, would just be about balance. Um, think about uh, think about maybe some rules that you might implement in your life, and then experiment with with those uh, around how do I keep some of the things that are maybe material indulgences, but uh, in my life, but uh, don't sacrifice my uh, the things that I enjoy about living. Um, and come up with some rules, whether that's the ones based off the ones that I suggest that are talked about, or it's something totally different. Um, just give it a try. As with being a foot nerd in every other way, uh, this is about experimentation. So design some experiments, use what I've talked about to come up with some ideas, and then put them in play and, uh, and measure, measure how it goes. And uh, yeah, report back. So with that, thank you so much for your time. I hope this has been valuable and useful. I'm around Ryan Hilton. If you ever need to ask any questions, I'm happy to, to respond and have a conversation about any of this stuff or add clarity where, you know, maybe what I said didn't make any sense. All right. Take care and be well.